Just kidding. If you listen to this, then you're just going to be lost in the middle of animal farm. We're in animal farm. Okay. <laughs> so, after Old Major dies, two young pigs, Napoleon and Snowball, organize a revolution among the animals where they chase Farmer Jones away. The pigs then create a new and equal society governed by the seven commandments of animalism. The most important commandment, of course, is all animals are equal. Things are looking up for the animals. No one's treated unfairly. Everyone works for the good of everyone else. Um, and it seems like a paradise. However, as the story progresses, this utopia seems questionable. The pigs take it upon themselves to lead the other animals. We start to notice changes to the commandments of animalism. Instead of no animal shall drink in beds, it becomes no animal shall sleep in beds with sheets once the pigs discover the farmer's beds. Uh, instead of no animal shall drink alcohol, it becomes no animal shall drink alcohol to excess once the uh, pigs discover the farmer's whiskey. We could quickly see that the pigs are twisting the rules to serve themselves and put themselves in a position of power over the other animals, all in the name of equality and animalism. Eventually, even the most important law, all animals are equal, becomes all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. Y'all, like the pigs in Animal Farm, we twist God's law to serve our own purposes and to place ourselves above other people. In the name of religion, we condemn others' sin while committing the same ourselves. We say that some are more equal than others and justify our sin in this way. We put ourselves in the position of God. Um, That's the fundamental thing that we're doing. Now let's see how this passage tells us that. Mark 7, verses 1 through 23. I need like a sweat towel up here. We just went to like an African-American church in this last week in the mission trip. The pastor had this towel. He was like wiping himself with the whole time. And I thought that was really funny, but now it's not. <laughs> At all. So just bear with me trying to be taken down. Okay. All right. Verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked them, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of men and hold to leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or his mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? 
Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not into his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we pray that you'll be with us tonight. Um, Lord, and open these words to us. Um, I pray that you will speak through my weakness, that your spirit will be here and convict us, Lord God, and just teach us, um, teach us your ways, and teach us to repent and believe the gospel. And pray all this in your name. Amen. So when I was in high school, I remember believing that being a Christian meant being a good person. What did a good person look like? You probably had ideas of what that looked like. For me, it was a uh, it's obviously something I could boil down to simple rules so that I could fit the description. It meant don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't have sex. As long as I didn't do those things, I was cool. It's cool with God, cool with other people. Everything else was on the table, and I could fall asleep at night just fine. We all have our personal prejudices, uh, many of which have a perfectly biblical basis, but the interesting thing about them is that none of them have anything to do with Jesus. And they are always things that we can do. We don't need help. Um, you know, Jesus is confronting in this passage our man-made rules for being good people. Uh, as Christians, we need to realize that our religion does not equal true Christianity. When we recognize the true nature of sin, we realize that we are just as bad as even the truly bad people. We all desperately need Jesus. The problem is, not, is that we tend to think of sin as like an infection that you can catch if you're not really careful. However, the Bible tells us that sin is more like a genetic disorder. It's just something you're born with, um, and you can't cure with religious medicine. Tonight we will see how this passage tells us that, one, our religion is sinful, and B, that they, like those sinners, the world out there, aren't the problem that we are. So first point, we sin even in our religion. If you look at the first five verses of chapter 7, Mark is recounting a story of a group of Pharisees they were sent to investigate the behavior of Jesus' disciples. Apparently they were trying to catch them in the act of breaking one of the many uh, laws of the elders. Uh, these were many extra rules and laws that the Pharisees had added to the laws, laws of Moses in the Bible. In this specific instance, Jesus' disciples were violating the purity laws by not washing their hands before they ate. Isn't it inter- interesting that of all the things that Jesus had been doing, walking on water, feeding 5,000 people... Um, healing the sick, the thing they focus on is hand-washing. You can almost feel like their haughty attitude as they're looking down, on the, uh, looking down their nose at Jesus' disciples. Um, it's obvious that they're hostile to Jesus in their attempts to find fault with them. And uh, Jesus confronts them by quoting Scripture right back. Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. You have to imagine that the Pharisees were completely shocked by this, by Jesus, like, the thing they knew backwards and forwards, the Old Testament, just quoting it right back at them in their face. Um, Jesus is basically saying that the Old Testament is not primarily criticizing, like, those people, the world, pagans, which is what the Pharisees uh, had done with the Old Testament, but it was actually confronting God's own chosen nation, the Israelites. 
I mean, the Pharisees were good people. You know, let's be honest. They grew up in Christian schools. They memorized verses, read their Bibles, tithed every month. Of course, they voted straight Republican. And uh, they went on spring break mission trips. They listened to Christian music. They were good people, okay? However, Jesus is telling them that they are the furthest from God. How can that be? How can, how can these people who knew the Bible so well, like, how can they be the ones that Jesus is confronting? The problem is that they're blind to their own sin. I don't know how many of you watch The Office, but I might or might not be obsessed. I just can't get enough of Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, the regional manager of Denner Mifflin Scranton. If you've watched The Office at all, even once, you know that Michael is completely awful to be around. He's totally offensive. He's annoying. He's always trying to make everyone else around him like him, but he can't take criticism at all. One of my favorite scenes in the entire series is after a new character, Andy, has been around Dunder Mifflin for a while. Andy is just driving everyone crazy. He's loud, he's annoying, he's offensive, and he obsessively tries to suck up to Michael. Michael cannot stand Andy and, uh, and starts trying to avoid him. Then this most wonderful scene of scenes happens. Michael is hiding behind the door of his office as Andy is searching for him and looking at the camera with a look of just clear exasperation on his face. He says... I don't understand how someone could have so little self-awareness. Then there's this pause, this beautiful pause as we just soak up this sweet, sweet irony. Why does Andy annoy Michael so much? Because he's just like him. Michael has no self-awareness. Michael has a... He's completely blind to how he comes off to others. In biblical terms, he has no concept of his true sinful nature. Thus, he has no humility and he's very defensive... Uh, and when criticized, and he blame shifts, and he rationalizes all his behaviors. Y'all, the Pharisees are Michael Scotts, and so are we. We can't bear to admit to ourselves or to others that we're just fundamentally bad to our core, like Jesus is telling us here. See, the Pharisees had tricked themselves into believing that they were actually keeping God's law, but Jesus confronts them directly, and their deceptive goodness just crumbles. Look at verses 9 through 13. Jesus gives an example of their hypocrisy. One of the Ten Commandments, as you know, is to honor your father and mother. Part of honoring your parents is to take care of them personally and financially as they grow old. But look what the Pharisees had done to avoid this sacrificial responsibility. They declared the money for their parents Corbin. Mark gives a side note for us Gentiles to tell us that Corbin means given to God. This means that in the name of religion, they could actually avoid honoring their parents. You see what they're doing? They've actually broken God's law while pretending that they're honoring him. Guys, if we're honest with ourselves, we do this too. What have we declared Corbin in our lives? What have you declared Corbin in your life? Our inner monologue goes something like this. Gosh, I know I should spend more time with my roommate and try to love him better, but just involved in too many Bible studies. Deep down, I know I should be reaching out to unbelievers, but... They just cuss too much, and I don't like to be around people like that. I may not respect my parents very well, but at least I don't get drunk every weekend like, you know, those people. I know I should help that homeless person, but we all know homeless people just go buy drugs anyway, so really ignoring him is the best thing to do, right? And then you could go on and on. There's so many things in our lives that we rationalize away, justify ourselves, um, so we feel like we're obeying God. In the name of religion, we're actually breaking God's law, sinning against Him. And the worst part is we trick ourselves into thinking we're actually keeping it. 
Remember, y'all, the law, the Ten Commandments, as Jesus puts it, is to love God with all our hearts and to love, neighbors, to love our neighbors as ourselves. There's not one person in this room that does that. I don't do that. Jason doesn't do that. Nobody does that. Um, we're all guilty. But we can follow some list of rules, X, Y, and Z, and call it Christianity. We feel good about ourselves and we sing really loud, act really emotionally, lead a Bible study, or haven't missed church in a year. And we act superior to those who are less emotional, less knowledgeable, and less dedicated. Y'all, when we, we are honoring God with our lips when we do these things, and our hearts are far from Him, when we boil religion down to simple actions. In fact, there's nothing, nothing particularly Christian about the things I just listed. We don't need Jesus for this. We're actually farther from Him. Ironically, when we look to Jesus as just a teacher instead of our Savior, we actually reject the gospel. Tim Keller puts it this way. Both religion, in which you build your identity on your moral achievements, and irreligion, in which you build your identity on some other secular pursuit or relationship, are ultimately spiritually identical courses to take. Both are sin. Religion won't save us, y'all. If we keep ourselves really busy and distracted, we may be able to trick ourselves into thinking we're good people. We can rationalize away our sin and justify ourselves all in the name of religion, but we can't fool God. When Jesus exposes the Pharisees, we get a look into their sinful hearts, and their motives become very clear to us. Jesus can see our hearts this way too, and you know, if I'm honest with myself, like that scares me a lot. It really makes me squirm on the inside because I'm actually very embarrassed by what's in my heart and how I actually feel towards other people and towards God. So this brings us to our next point. When we acknowledge um, our fake religion, um, our just adherence to just a list of rules, we see that they, the world, isn't the problem um, that we are. Look at verses 14 through 19. Jesus uh, calls the crowd of people to himself and declares that not only is ritual hand-washing not necessary, but that all foods are clean. We have to dive into Jewish context a little bit to understand just how floored the Pharisees would be and all the people would be to hear these things. Um, The Israelites, as you probably know, followed many ceremonial laws that were given to Moses by God. There are rules and sacrifices for every area of life. Um, and their purpose was to show the need for purity and holiness in God's people. The, the rituals were good. Like they were for good reasons. They were to, to point to the need of a people set apart for God. Ultimately, they demonstrate that people are fundamentally impure and need to be cleansed before they can be reconciled to God. We know that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice these, these rituals were pointing to. And by his blood we are cleansed and pure, made pure before God. The problem is, is that the Pharisees had misinterpreted the ceremonial law. They believed their rules and rituals actually kept them pure and made them righteous. They didn't understand sin, y'all. You see, Jesus is saying that all of the rituals and sacrifices in the world don't matter at all if we don't care for the poor and needy, um, like their parents. Uh, and this is not a new teaching either. So keep your finger in Mark. Um, let's turn to Isaiah chapter 1. And hear uh, the heart of God and how we miss the point um, of our religion. Isaiah 1, verses 13 through 17. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. 
I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless. Plead the widow's calls. Y'all, don't miss this. Not only do our religious rituals and actions not save us, they make God weary. His soul hates them when we use them to justify ourselves in apathy towards other people and towards the poor and needy. You see, those rituals were in place to show the Israelites that they are impure, not to make them pure. They need a Savior, and so do we. God's law exists to show us our sin, not so we can fool ourselves into thinking we're good. Jesus declares all foods clean because He fulfills the ceremonial laws. They have served their purpose. Jesus is the purity of the Israelites. And y'all, we're just like the Israelites. We think that just because we do certain things, we make ourselves pure. If we listen to a certain type of music, use Christian language, avoid certain people, then we're clean. We're fine. We're cool. Jesus is telling us that we, are actually, we actually kill the gospel when we, live, when we live like this. After all, religious people kill Jesus, not pagans. Religious people like to build up their walls to keep the secular world out uh, and form its own culture. This is nothing new. The Pharisees did it 2,000 years ago. Jerem Barr, a professor at Covenant Seminary, tells this story from a St. Louis church. The church was to host a pool party as an outreach event to the neighborhood teenagers. Um, and like any good, moral, church-going person, a woman at the church stated the obvious. We have to have rules. We, of course, can't allow any two-piece bathing suits. Obviously. The pastor's wife, looking skeptical, said, Well, my daughter has some friends who aren't Christians at school, and I don't know if they come to a party with rules like that. The first woman retorted, Well, your daughter shouldn't have friends like that. Really? Y'all, like this woman, uh, we place our rules above God's law. Um, and this is the opposite of evangelism. And this is the opposite of the gospel. This actually keeps us from reaching people for Jesus. Uh, it just builds our walls higher. Our walls make us comfortable and secure, but Jesus comes to destroy these walls. The reason Christians are not to leave the world is found in verses 20 and 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Guys, this should rock our world. Sin doesn't come from out there in like the scary, secular, godless world. I mean, we were born with it. Like, no one had to tell us how to do these things. It comes from within us. It doesn't even come from Satan. It's already there. You and I are no better than Kesha, no better than Charlie Sheen, no better than the homeless drug addict downtown, or your sweet mate that gets wasted every weekend. And you're no worse than the Apostle Paul or even the most well-respected person at your church. Why is this true? Because hell is already in the heart of every person. It doesn't come from the outside. All the, all the seeds are there. It's only by the grace of God that we are not as outwardly bad as we could be. C.S. Lewis, Lewis puts it this way in his book, The Great Divorce. Hell begins with a, crum- a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there may come a day when you can no longer. 
Then there would be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. This should scare us. This should lead us to repentance. We need a Savior. Um, and Jesus saves us from ourselves and what we would be without Him. So what do we do? What do we do with this then? Just throw in the towel and say, screw it. We can't beat them, join them, right? I mean, may as well do every bad thing I can think of because it's all the same. Because the gospel is that free. Guys, this is how a religious person or a Pharisee speaks. Not someone who's actually encountered and been changed by the all-consuming, all-consuming heartbreaking love of God. We already know that lying, stealing, cheating, sex outside of marriage, marriage, drunkenness are sins. We already know these things. Remember what Jesus says, though. If you've hated someone, you've committed murder. If you've ever lusted, you've committed adultery. Nobody keeps the law. Jesus is trying to show us that God makes no distinction between thought and deed. Jesus doesn't come to make us better people, or even nice, polite, good southern people. He makes us new people. God doesn't call us to a life of rules where we don't need Him. He calls us to a life of freedom that belongs only to the children of God. Isaiah 55.1 puts it this way, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. You have to admit you're thirsty to drink. You have to know you're hungry to eat. The gospel is free, but you have to recognize your sickness. See, the gospel is offensive to us on the one hand because it says we're all the same. It levels us. But if we humble ourselves, then we can see the beautifully boundless free love of God as given to us. This isn't to say that God's rules are pointless. They show us how life is supposed to be and how it works best. We have to realize that we don't keep them at all. When we, when we look at our hearts, that we don't keep God's laws, none of them. Um, the gospel makes us new people, children of God, Love forever, regardless of our poor performance. Um, God doesn't want us to follow just a 10-step program to becoming better people. His rules exist to show us that we need Him. He wants a relationship. If we are the bride of Christ, like the the Bible tells us, Jesus wants our whole hearts, um, and He's already given His whole heart to us. Guys, when this truth penetrates to our deepest being, it changes us. Uh, We stop holding grudges against others. We stop comparing ourselves Quit nitpicking with others. Quit, quit hating ourselves. Cheer up. You're worse than you think. But you're more loved than you could possibly imagine. The love of Christ, therefore, compels us to go forth and to share that love while fighting sin in our life. Um, and this is the basis for holiness and evangelism. When, I was in, when we were in Chicago this last week on our mission trip, I was very convicted on uh, how I basically keep just the basic amount of rules to feel like a Christian while maximizing my own comfort and personal safety. Um, the neighborhood we were in in Chicago uh, it was one of the most violent in the U.S. And we heard so many stories of uh, gang violence and drugs, um, lack of jobs and, 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 uh, and homelessness, um, stories of, uh, of kids who had you know, never known anybody in their family that went to college and uh, no role models, no father, um, and would um, know uh, no, no other way of living except to join a gang and eventually sell drugs or get shot or go to prison. Um, one day we, were, uh, we had this, these games of 
Olympics with kids. Um, a lot of kids that the, that the Sunshine Gospel Ministries, the group we were working with, kids that they worked with, uh, we had a lot of fun with them. I'm pretty sure the college kids were more competitive than the little kids. We were like, we were so into it, and it was awesome. We had a lot of fun, but about halfway through, it just hit me that like these kids, these you know, cute, adorable little kids, just a lot like you know, kids that were around, that these kids, you know, in 10 years, I mean, they could be in gangs, I mean, they could be dead, they could be in jail. Um, it's just, it almost broke my heart. I almost broke down crying just, just thinking about that. Um, and it really hit me with that, that there's no particular reason I deserved to not be in that situation, right? Um, there's no, nothing but the grace of God, you know, kept me from being in that situation. Um, and it, it made me realize that this is what the gospel frees us to, is to, as broken people who are loved forever, not to go on sinning, we can't do that, but when you see brokenness around you, when you see brokenness in yourself, the gospel compels you to go and just bring the light of Jesus. I mean, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. We saw that in Chicago last week. Um, if we're really honest, the world's not the way it's supposed to be at Sanford either or in Birmingham. You don't have to look far. Um, if you just stop for long enough to look around, you just know that you, know, you long for more. Um, and Jesus ushers in the, you know, this new kingdom. I mean, that's what the gospel frees us to do. Not to live a life of rules, but to... Uh, bear witness to the fact that Jesus is making all things new and that he loves us. Um, maybe you remember the end of Animal Farm. The pigs had abused and subdued the other animals, and they now lived lavishly in the farmhouse. They had promised that life would get better without humans, but instead, if anything, it had become worse. They'd even started socializing with the humans again. They would hang out with them in the farmhouse. Um, the other animals, miserable and oppressed, looked into the farmhouse at the pigs at the end of the story, and Orwell, Orwell writes, No question now what had happened to the faces of the pigs. The creatures outside looked from pig to man, and from man to pig, and from pig to man again, but already it was impossible to say which was which. At the end of the day, without Jesus, it doesn't really matter whether we're religious or pagan. They're the same thing. Rebellion against God, hatred of other people. The pigs in rebellion against the humans have made themselves just like them. The gospel, however, is a third way, y'all. God doesn't call us to a life of rules. No, better, a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Rules are for robots, but love, joy, and freedom are for the children of God. Only when we stop trying to pretend we're good by justifying ourselves will we truly embrace the gospel and love God, love other people, and begin to do it you know, it's like the way things are supposed to be. Um, you and I need to repent from our religion and our irreligion. We need to believe the gospel. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word, God. We thank you for Jesus. Um, God, please convict us of how we uh, lift ourselves above others, God, um, and look down on other people, think that um, we're better um, or worse than others, God, but help us to realize that we're just sinful to our very core, and we're just helpless, God, um, that what is growing in us will be hell, will be hell unless you save us, God, and we thank you that Jesus does that, God, and we pray 
the love of Jesus uh, will help us to move out to, to Sanford's campus and to the world, God. I mean, we really start to love people and love you, God. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.